Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Every once in a while, we find a phrase that may offer us some concern within Scripture. Psalm 137 has such a phrase. However, the psalm is truly about the identity of the exiles and appropriate anger against injustice. However, we still need to deal with the verse that talks about dashing babies against the rock. You're listening to By the Rivers of Babylon by Reverend Peter Yonker. Once again, our scripture reading this evening for our evening message is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 137. Turn with me to that psalm, and I'll read it in a moment. But before I read it, I would like to to try at least to give you a sense of context, to give you a sense of of what was going on when the psalm was written and, and, and how to hear the background. This is a song that we can be quite sure uh, was written by an exile, okay? So it was written by someone who grew up in Jerusalem, probably lived most of his life in Jerusalem, maybe grew to adulthood in Jerusalem, loved Jerusalem, but then experienced the trauma of the Babylonians sweeping into town, burning everything down, killing people, bodies in the streets, nameless atrocities, horrible things, and then they've been carried off to Babylon. And so they have this, this, this memory of, of good Jerusalem, but also the memory of this terrible trauma and this memory of atrocities. And probably when it was written, they've been there for some time, right? The, the Babylonian captivity went on for, for 70 years. So maybe 20, 25 years they've been there. Um, they've been there a long time, but they, their, their roots are still in Jerusalem. And now here I'm sort of imagining, uh, I imagine that this person uh, was a musician, Maybe someone who was, when he was in Jerusalem, was a temple musician and used to play with the temple musicians and the temple worshipers. And now that he's carried off into Babylon, he's trying to make a living in music, uh, which is hard. And he's he's just picking up gigs here and there in Babylon, playing at bars uh, and and making almost nothing, just trying to cobble things together. And one night, after, uh, after a long time playing, he comes home late at night and he sits down on his bed and he puts his harp down beside him, and he sighs deeply, and he starts writing this psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This too is the word of the Lord. So this psalm kind of knocks the wind out. It was not the psalm that knocks the wind out of you. Verse 9 
knocks the wind out of you. It is a gut punch. You're going along and all of a sudden you read those words where the psalmist calls for dashing the Babylonian babies on the rocks. And you say, how can this be in Scripture? The psalmist calling for the murder of babies. The psalmist calling for infanticide. The psalmist calling for what would rightly be called a, a, a war atrocity, according to today's standards. And not just calling for it, saying that blessed by the Lord be anyone who does this. How can this be? And it, it's such, um, yeah, it's such, a, it's such a stunning, such a gut punch that it's hard to hear the rest of the psalm. psalm the, the verse 9 kind of eclipses the rest of the psalm. So after you finish reading it, all you think about is that verse and you forget almost everything which has gone before, which is too bad. Because this is not a psalm about killing babies, even though we all remember that last verse. This is a psalm about something else. So I, I promise you, in this sermon, I will deal with verse 9. But I want to focus, first of all, on what the center of this psalm is. And the center of this psalm is a psalm of remembering, a psalm of identity for exiles. Our friend is sitting in his room writing this psalm because he does not want his fellow Israelites, the people of God, to forget who they are and where they came from, which is always a temptation for exiles. You have to remember for this psalmist, and certainly for many of the other exiles, if this is 20, 25 years into exile, there would have been a whole generation of young people, Israelites, who never would have known Jerusalem, right? They would have been born in Babylon. Let's say, just for the sake of imagination, that the psalmist himself has a 17-year-old daughter born in Babylon, and he's watching her grow up. And she speaks Babylonian. Well, she's fluent in Hebrew, but she speaks Babylonian. In fact, if, if you ask her something where her first language is, is Babylonian, he, he hears her babbling along, talking along with, with her Babylonian friends and laughing in this language that he barely understands. And she dresses in Babylonian clothes. And she likes to sing Babylonian pop songs. And on the big festivals where everyone's out in the streets of Babylon, she goes out there and she likes to party right along with the rest of them doesn't even understand her sometimes. And he looks around and many of his fellow Jews are, are doing something similar. They're, they're, they're just trying to fit in. Some of them are taking on Babylonian names and, and forgetting their Jewish heritage. How could they forget Jerusalem? How could they forget who they are? They had been called to be a special people. They were the chosen of the Lord. His people needed to remember. And some days it felt like the, the only day that anyone remembered was the days that he'd be playing in some bar and some drunken Babylonian would say to him, hey, you're a Jew, aren't you? Hey, Jew boy, play for us one of those, you people like to sing, right? Play for us one of those joyful Zion songs. Hey, he's going to play a song, everyone. It made him seethe. Forgetting is always a danger for exiles. Forgetting their identity, forgetting their true purpose, just trying to fit in. Most of you remember that in 1980, there was a hostage crisis in Iran. 
Um, after the Iranian Revolution, 50 Americans were taken hostage in the uh, American embassy in Iran. And that went on for over a year. Uh, years back in the Atlantic magazine, a man named Mark Bowden wrote an article where he went and interviewed many, many of the people who had been hostages in that situation. And he found something interesting. He said, after only eight weeks into the hostage crisis, um, while some people maintained their identity and stayed fiercely oppositional to the people who had taken them hostage, a significant number of the Americans there uh, started to compromise. They started to sympathize with their captors. Stockholm Syndrome. Some of them willingly read statements where they expressed sympathy for the cause of their captors. And in exchange, what did they receive? Better rooms, better food, better clothes, more freedom. Why did those hostages behave that way? Well, they just wanted to get along. They, they just wanted life to be a little bit easier. From day to day to day, they were trying to reduce the amount of suffering and maximize the amount of comfort. And so they made those compromises. They drifted from their identity. And of course, this is exactly where the scenario in Babylon is relevant for Christians today. We too are exiles. I had a whole sermon series about that. Now, we're not exiles like the captives in Babylon, and we're not exiles like the hostages in Iran, but we are exiles in that we're supposed to be a different people. We are citizens of a different country. We serve a different king. We are, we are, our history is not in Jerusalem, but our future is in the new Jerusalem. That is where we set our face. And there should, as we all know, be something measurably different about how we live in this world. We define success differently. We have a different moral structure. We define love differently. We are called to a faith, hope, and love that is meant to look different in this world. But it's easy for exiles to forget who they are and to make little compromises, to tip our hat, to change our identity just a little. And when you do, you are rewarded. Your bed is warm, your stomach is full. There's a real temptation to forget our identity and who we are. And the psalmist is warning us against such compromises. The psalmist will not let us forget who we are. And he says, if I ever forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand wither, may the tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I do not set Jerusalem above all my highest joys. If any joy of Babylon or if any joy of any other place in this world is ever set above my true identity, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. I am God's child. The psalmist never wants God's people to forget who they are. So maybe one of the jarring things that this difficult psalm can teach us is that as Christians, as God's people, we should always be a little bit restless and even a little bit angry in this world. There's always going to be restlessness and even a little anger as we live in this world and if we're not angry, a little bit angry, restless, um, we're probably growing a little bit complacent. And 
you know, that's difficult to call people to anger, to be careful with that, but there is good anger. Anger is the proper response to injustice. When you see people being treated unfairly in this world, or if you're treated unfairly, if you see evil damaging things in people in this world, a proper response is anger. If you don't ever feel any anger at the evils of this world, either you've are unable to discern good from evil anymore, or you just don't care that much. And Psalm 137 is saying you should always care. Now, can anger go too far? Yes, of course it can. And now we're at verse 9. I think as a Christian, as a New New Testament Christian, I cannot pray verse 9. I think verse 9 goes too far. It is important to remember the call of God, remember who you are, to have some restlessness and some anger at the injustices of this world. But there's a way of remembering where you fixate on the hurt, where you fixate on the injustice, and you turn it over and over in your brain until it becomes a kind of seething anger that leads you to do things like want to destroy the children of your enemy. I can understand why the psalmist feels this way. I promise you the psalmist probably saw some of the Israelite children dashed against the rocks. That's where this rage for justice comes from. But I still don't think it's appropriate. At the Battle of Wounded Knee, 300 Sioux Indians, men, women, and children, were cut down by U.S. forces using these primitive machine guns. And... Many of the witnesses there said that as those Sioux people were killed, that people were saying, remember Custer and remember Little Bighorn. It was a product of an anger built up in those people over time that seethed and went to the point where they were willing to kill children for the sake of their rage. That's inappropriate. But now... While I don't think verse 9 is appropriate for a Christian, I want you to see that this awful verse is already starting to lead us in a different direction. If you look at verses 7 through 9, okay, especially verse 7, right at the beginning of verse 7, the psalmist calls for the injustices of the Edomites and the injustices of the Babylonians to be remembered. But who does he call to remember? Does he call himself to remember? Does he call the people to remember? No. He calls God to remember. Remember Lord. So he's already taking his rage for the terrible things he has seen and starting to give that rage to God and asking God not to forget it. And God does remember. God does remember. He does not forget the evils and the injustices. He does not forget the atrocities. And what does God do in response to those atrocities? What does he do with these things that he remembers? He sends his son to earth. And when Jesus sees the injustices and the evils, he's angry, right? Anger is the proper response. He's angry with evil. But he doesn't respond to that anger by taking babies and dashing them against the rocks. He takes children on his knee and he blesses them. And he doesn't take his enemies and smash them. He dies for them. In fact, I think it's fair to say 
that he lets himself be dashed against the rocks of our sin and our guilt and our iniquity. Jesus, God's son, God's child, is the one who gets dashed against the rocks for us and for our salvation. In Christ's death, all of those excessive revenge fantasies come to an end. We can understand why that kind of rage exists in people. But when we are people of the cross and we stand under the cross and see what he bore for us, all those kinds of ultimate revenge fantasies come to an end. Not that we don't get angry anymore, not that we don't feel a holy zeal, but that holy zeal is worked out in a different way. It may lead to bloodshed, but the blood that is shed might be our own as we pick up our own crosses and follow Jesus. Years ago, I heard a story that reminded me of this. It was on NPR on their show, This American Life. And it was a father telling the story uh, of an interaction with his daughter. I don't think this man was a Christian or not a very serious one, but he celebrated Christmas. And when it was, she was about four years old, his daughter started to become curious about what Christmas was about. And so the dad told her the story of Jesus. And she thought that was a really interesting story. So they went to the library and got a couple of Bible books out and, and read a little more about the Christmas story and who Jesus was. And the father explained that Jesus came to the world and taught that you should love everyone, that we should love God and love our neighbor. That was who Jesus was. And she thought that was pretty interesting. A little while later, they were driving down the road and on a church, a Catholic church, there was a crucifix. So a cross with a man on it, with Jesus on it. And she saw that and she opened her eyes wide and she said, Daddy, who is that? And he said, oh, that's Jesus. And he hadn't told her the end of the story. So he continued and said, well, um, you know, when Jesus taught what he taught, when he talked about loving people and some of the things he taught, he was too radical for some people. And, and, and so they killed him. They crucified him. She thought about that too. A few weeks later, end of January, it was Martin Luther King Day. And she had the day off school where they lived. And so her and daddy went out for lunch. And there on the newspaper at the place where they were having lunch was a picture of Martin Luther King. And she said, Daddy, who is that man? Oh, she, he's the reason you get off school today and we can have lunch today. He was a preacher. For Jesus? Yeah, for Jesus. Well, what did he say? He said you should treat everyone the same no matter what you look like. She thought about that. That's just like Jesus, she said. That's just like Jesus said, Daddy. And then she said, did they kill him too? May Psalm 137 keep in mind who we are. Keep us firm in our identity. May Psalm 137 keep us alive to the injustices and sins of this world and keep us moving against them. And when we move, may we pick up our cross and follow him. Amen. Lord God, we have stood under the foot of your son's cross tonight and have been reminded of 
how much that accomplished for us and for our salvation. Of all you bore there and all you changed there and how we owe our entire life to that sacrifice and the hope of your resurrection. Lord, send us out into the world as your people, ready to live your life and to pick up your cross. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.